Good morning, everyone. If you've got your Bible there, go ahead and grab it and turn to First Chronicles chapter 10. First Chronicles chapter 10, that's where we're going to be reading from today. And just while you do that, let me quickly introduce today's message. Over the last couple of weeks, we kicked off a new series called Resolved, and we've been thinking about what it means to be a people who are resolved to follow God in 2024. And resolve is defined as firm determination to do something or to decide firmly on a course of action. And so the reality is that this year in Carn Money, we want to be a resolved people, to be firmly committed and determined to follow God come what may. And over the last two Sundays, Stuart has helped us to realize that this kind of godly resolve, it comes from prioritizing the presence of God and by committing ourselves to worship and prayer. But today, we're going to change the direction of our thinking just slightly by asking the question, how do we lose our resolve? If we cultivate resolve by prioritizing God's presence and by committing to personal devotion and worship and in prayer, well, how might we lose our resolve this year? How might we lose this firm commitment and determination to follow God? Because the reality is that each of us know all too well what it looks like and what it feels like to start well, but to lose resolve, to hit the ground running with something, but to somehow lose resolve and then stagnate. In 2019, during the San Silvestre 15-kilometer road race in Sao Paulo, Olympian Jacob Caplimo from Uganda was running exceptionally well. Going into the last 100 meters, he had a significant lead over his closest competitor, Kibiwat Kandi of Kenya. As Kaplimo approached the finish line, he began to slow down, raising his arms to celebrate in front of the cameras. Exhausted but relieved, believing that he had surely won the race. However... As this was happening, Candy, his competitor, pushed hard from behind and pipped him right at the finish line to take first place. Take a look at the moment that it happened. Imagine, Caplimo started well and he finished poorly. He lost resolve and he lost out on first place. And the sad truth is we all have countless stories like this where we have lost our resolve. Losing resolve seems like a universal human phenomena. Think about it. How many times have you started off exercising really well but lost determination and then gave up? How many times have you taken on healthy eating but lost determination and eventually given up? Or perhaps more poignantly with faith and church, how many times have we watched Christian leaders start really well in their ministries, kick off new programs, and then eventually lose heart and give up? 
How many times have we seen gifted communicators rise up to prominence but lose resolve in their personal devotion and then fall prey to sin and eventually fall from their pedestals? How many times have you yourself gone through a season of going for God with everything, of stepping out for Him and of really growing in your faith, but then somehow lost resolve and just settled for that spiritual place that you got to? How many times have you signed up to a small group but eventually stopped going? How many times have you started a devotional guide or a prayer journal and eventually given up? The list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? We start well and so very often we finish poorly. Why? Because we lose our resolve. So the question then is how? How do we lose our resolve? That's what we're thinking about today. And this morning, we're going to use an overview of King Saul's life in 1 Chronicles and in 1 Samuel as a case study of this loss of resolve. Because King Saul started off so well, but he ended so poorly. Throughout his life, King Saul, he lost his resolve to follow God. And as we move through this this morning, what I'm really trying to get you to see aren't just Saul's big blunders, of which there are many, but rather I want you to see and understand the key root issues and toxic seeds that were in his heart and his mind that gradually eroded his resolve and which ultimately led to his big blunders and his opposition to God and his tormented life. And as we're gonna read about right now, his very, very sad ending. Saul started so well, but he lost resolve. What happened? And what can we learn from this? Well, let's get into the story by reading God's word. First Chronicles chapter 10. This is the end of Saul's life, and it isn't a pretty scene. This is God's word. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died and all of his house died together. And then reading on down from verse 13. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned his kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. And we end there giving thanks to God for his word and for how it still speaks to us today. Although there were many issues in Saul's life and leadership that we could look at, 
I believe that there were four interconnected and deep root issues in Saul's heart that ultimately led to his loss of resolve and his downfall. And we're going to look at each one of these as follows. Insecurity, self-reliance, misplaced fear, and false humility. So let's start with insecurity. One of the most sad characteristics about Saul was that despite his gifting and his success, he was a deeply insecure man. And while there is no doubt that he got off to a great start as king, the Bible also makes it clear that he was deeply insecure. In short, Saul was never really sure of the identity nor the position that God had given him. Indeed, here's what we know about Saul and his early days as king. Saul was born from a rich and respected family. He was tall and handsome. He had good morals and a sense of responsibility. He was polite and listened to other people's suggestions. He was initially forgiving towards people who had abused and distrusted him. He fiercely protected the house of Israel. He initially called the people of God to worship and thanksgiving. And he did seem to have a close relationship with God. So by almost all accounts, Saul was a great man to be king in Israel. He was a gifted warrior and he was a successful leader. And in the early days, he honored God. And because he did that, he achieved great military successes. However, Saul was deeply insecure. And we see evidence of this root issue at his inauguration. In 1 Samuel, we find out that when Saul was just about to be crowned king, he hid he hid from his own people. First Samuel 10 verse 21 says this, but when the leaders of the tribes of Israel looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So they ran him out and the people shouted, long live the king. Picture this for a moment. This is the big crowning celebration. This is the big public spectacle. And Saul hides. It's so embarrassing. And in their desperation for a human king, the Israelite leaders, they just kind of shrug it off and move on. This is a quick exchange, but it's really important to highlight because Saul's insecurity would just get worse and worse and worse throughout his life. Saul's kingship did start well, but underneath the surface, the Bible makes it clear that Saul was deeply insecure, so much so that he couldn't face his own inauguration as king. Was Saul gifted and was he able? Yes. Was Saul a follower of God? Yes. Did Saul start well and achieve great things when he honored God? Yes. However, Saul was deeply insecure. And from that day, we see evidence of this seed of insecurity, which would unfortunately grow and flourish and fuel other toxic behaviors as his reign continued. So what's the message here? Saul seriously doubted his God-given identity and responsibility. 
and that toxic lie that he chose to believe over and over and over again about his identity would repeatedly rear its ugly head throughout his life. And you know what the really sad thing is? We do the exact same thing. God says that we are loved, and yet we treat ourselves like we are unlovable. God says that in Christ we are a new creation, and yet we run back to our old, dead personas and foolish lifestyles. God says that our purpose is found in loving him and in building his kingdom, and yet we avoid him and choose comfort and pleasure. God says that inner security and peace can only be found in him, and yet we look for that everywhere else in all of the wrong places. God is constantly trying to teach us that his word on our identity is what matters most, and the enemy is primarily interested in attacking that God-given identity, whether it's ill health or persecution or feeding your apathy, or making you believe that you have issues with your body. Whatever it is, the enemy wants you to be just like Saul, insecure. Because if you're insecure, you are anxious. Think about this. If you are insecure, you make poor decisions. If you are insecure, you see the world around you as dangerous. If you're insecure, you live, like with, you live like someone with everything to lose and very little to gain. If you are insecure, you are unstable. Just like the old hymn says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. An insecure identity is like standing on sinking ground. If you are insecure, you will ultimately lose your resolve to follow God. And the enemy knows that if he can get you into that way of thinking, if he can get you into that headspace, that he can gradually take you out of the fight. Oh, sure, you're gifted, but you'll fail eventually. You could sign up to serve in that ministry area, but you're just not good enough. You could go and tell people about Jesus, but you're a hypocrite. You could go and pray for that person in your workplace, but who are you to represent God? Lies and slander and deception, he will use a beautiful concoction of it all to make you insecure, to doubt your salvation, to doubt God's sufficiency in your life, and to doubt your ability to build God's kingdom. On the surface, Saul had it all. He did love God. He was a great man for the job. And in many ways, he started so well. But Saul was insecure and it slowly and surely ruined him. What diminished Saul's resolve to follow God? Carmony Church, what will diminish our resolve to follow God in 2024? The first thing, and arguably the most important, was insecurity. But secondly then, Saul's insecurity bred self-reliance. It bred self-reliance. Now, what's interesting is we kind of think that our insecurity would drive us to God and to other Christians for help. So we kind of think that in our instability, that it would be logical to start reaching out for help, right? That would make sense. Yet, as broken people, we seriously struggle to reach out for help from God and from others like we should 
don't we? Be honest. You know this and I know it. When we are insecure, what actually tends to happen is that because we see everything around us as a threat and because we want to portray to everyone around us that we're actually doing okay, we take matters into our own hands and we bend over backwards to keep up pretenses. And in so doing, we become self-reliant. And this is exactly what happened throughout Saul's life. Rather than running to God and other Christians for help, Saul starts to deal with everything in his own strength. We see him increasingly depend more and more and more on himself to resolve his problems rather than on God. And the best example that we have of that is in 1 Samuel 13. Here Saul is confronted with a large Philistine army and in fear of his own men deserting him, he takes it upon himself to offer up an animal sacrifice to the Lord. But crucially, this was not his role. This was exclusively a priest's role and Saul was not allowed to claim this office nor responsibility. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul says this, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And then Samuel says this, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. In Saul's insecurity, he takes matters into his own hands. He knew that this was forbidden. He knew that he was forbidden to make the sacrifice, but he chose to do it anyway, to keep up appearances. And it is all self-reliance. On the surface, this looks holy, but God sees what's going on in Saul's heart. And he says that Saul's motivation was selfish and corrupt and that his sacrifice was outright disobedience. And it is this incident that contributes to God condemning his kingship and favoring David, who we'll hear about next week, who would be a man after God's own heart, not his own. In his insecurity, Saul becomes self-reliant. And I don't know about you, but see this year, 2024, I want to be much more dependent on God. One of the things that I feel like I am perpetually learning is that life is really, really exhausting when we try to do it all on our own strength. And to be really blunt, we won't become more like Jesus this year if we depend on ourselves. We won't see other people come to faith through us if we rely on our gifting. 
We won't see our kids come to know Jesus if we rely on our own efforts. We won't see the kingdom of God come if we try to do ministry in our own strength. On the surface, we can all come here week on week and put the mask on and seemingly do and say all of the right things, just like Saul did here among his men, seemingly holy activity, but actually on the inside, be self-reliant and full of ourselves. And it's so toxic. It's a quote from William Nicholson. Self-reliance is the enemy of salvation. What a statement. If you are self-reliant, you have no need of God. If you have no need of God, you do not seek him. If you do not seek him, you will not find him. Listen, if we choose self-reliance in whatever we do as individuals and whatever we do as a church family this year, if we choose self-reliance, the only thing at the end of that road is exhaustion and disobedience, just like we see in the story of Saul. What was the second thing that diminished Saul's resolve to follow God? Self-reliance that came from insecurity. Carmony Church, what will erode our resolve in 2024? Self-reliance. Thirdly then is misplaced fear. Misplaced fear. In Saul's insecurity and his self-reliance, his fear became really skewed and misplaced. Rather than fearing God, who had repeatedly demonstrated his power to deliver the people from slavery and to defend Israel better than any human king could, Saul instead started to fear man. That was true in the story that we just read a moment or two ago when he feared his men leaving him and he feared the Philistines more than he feared God's command not to make the sacrifice. It was true then, but actually this fear of man in Saul's life, it reaches its apex in 1 Samuel 15 where he actively disobeys God's command to wipe out the Amalekites. God tells Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites for their previous assaults on Israel. And yet Saul disobeys God again by keeping the king alive and keeping all of the plunder. And when Samuel comes and challenges him about it, Saul eventually admits this in verse 14. I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And this is the important part. I was afraid of the man. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. This is misplaced fear. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. God is unstoppable. And yet Saul places his fear of the men above his fear of the Lord. My goodness, what an error. And in a really sad way, what Saul does here is that he embodies the old mindset of the fear of man that ultimately trapped the people of Israel in Egypt all of those years ago. For years, the Israelites remained captive in Egypt because, partly because of the fear of man. And right here, we find out that King Saul is just a product of the Israelites' problematic thinking. The fear of man is what drove the Israelites to demand a king from God. And they feared the wrong force. 
Instead of trusting that they didn't need a human king and believing that God would provide for them, they chose to fear the other tribes that were gathered all around them more than they feared God. And in so doing, they demand from God a leader who would end up enslaving them to the fear that they had just been released from. My goodness, please hear this. The freed Israelite people demand a king from God and that very king would ultimately re-enslave them into the fear of man again. The sad old cycle continued. And so within this context, King Saul himself becomes a slave to misplaced fear. Saul, the free king, lives like a slave, afraid of his own people and their verdict of his leadership. How sad is that? Saul fears the people more than he fears God. And Carmony Church family, I have no idea what trouble and challenge and hardship this year will bring to all of us, but it is coming. In this world, we will have trouble. Someone pretty important promised us that. But what will erode our resolve in the face of the challenge that is coming this year? The fear of man. What will put us at odds with each other as a church family? The fear of man. What will squash our courage and our determination to risk big for God as a church this year? The fear of man. Kevin DeYoung puts it like this. There is no sin as prevalent, as prevalent, as insidious, and as deep as the sin of fearing people more than we fear God. God is the only thing that we need to fear this year. Not loss of image, not sickness, not job loss, not a cost of living crisis, not civil unrest, not war after war after war and rumors of war after war after war and not even death itself. God is the only one that we should fear this year. And so as the year progresses, maybe ask yourself in your day today, What or who am I afraid of? What or who are you afraid of this year? Proverbs 9 verse 10 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But perhaps this morning you need to hear this as a warning. If we invert that same text, we get this stark warning. The fear of man is the beginning of foolishness and not knowing God leads to confusion. You want to make good decisions this year as a friend. You want to make good decisions this year as a parent. You want to make good decisions this year as a business owner or a spouse or a church leader. You want to live free You want to remain resolved? Fear God above all else. And this, what I'm speaking about, it's not faith over fear, which I have heard so much recently as a tagline. I believe that this is fear over fear. The healthy fear of Almighty God above every other natural fear in my life. 
It's the fear of God over the fear of man. What's the third thing that eroded King Saul's resolve to follow God? What's the third thing that will kill our resolve this year? Misplaced fear bound up in insecurity and self-reliance. And the fourth then and final issue that we see is that of false humility. False humility, false repentance. As we continue on in the story, we see that Saul's insecurity and his self-reliance and his fear of man actually runs so deep that it creates false humility and false repentance in his life. Particularly towards the end of his life, Saul bends over backwards to make himself look good, to make it look like he's following God so that he can maintain the backing of the people, especially after God has rejected his kingship and turned his favor towards David. And as part of the act, Saul exudes false humility and false repentance. And we see this again in 1 Samuel 15, where Samuel tells Saul that God has now outright rejected him as king for his repeated lying and disobedience. Here we read this firm exchange. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. And here on the surface, Saul seems repentant. He seems repentant. But in reality, this is just false humility. If Saul was really repentant here, he would have directed his sorrow towards God. But here he doesn't. Instead, he wants Samuel to publicly honor him before Israel, to restore his power and to restore his image, not because he is genuinely repentant. And this is now just desperation because he knows that this is the beginning of the bitter end for him and his rule. This is just a show. You see, humility and repentance hasn't really got much to do with getting something back from God is it? Let's think about this for a moment. Like saying sorry to God so that you just get his favor back in your life, or saying sorry to God to be blessed by him in some way. That's quite fake. That's pride. That is all about you and not about God. True humility and repentance is about realizing that you have offended a holy God with your thoughts and your behavior. And true humility, is, true humility and repentance is ultimately about love, not about what we can get. I love you, Lord, and I am sorry that I have hurt and offended you. Help me to do better by you. Think about it this way. If I offend or hurt my wife, Charlotte, and I just apologize to her in order to make my life easier, then I'm not really being humble or repentant, am I? That's just selfishness. That's just about me. But if I apologize to her because I genuinely love her and because I feel remorse that I have hurt her and because I want to do better by her, then I am humbling myself 
It's about her. And it's about restoring our loving relationship. And here in this part of the story, God knows that Saul's heart isn't genuinely repentant, nor has it been for some time. Instead, Saul is only interested in what God can give him, not in honoring God for who he is and valuing him above everything else in his life. And so Saul is in panic mode. He's backpedaling to try and maintain status among his people, so much so that he eventually builds a monument to himself and demands praise from the people. His life and his leadership end up becoming full of false humility. What is the fourth and what is the final thing that eroded Saul's resolve to follow God in his life? False humility and false repentance. Car money, church. What will diminish our resolve to follow God in 2024? Insecurity, which breeds, which feeds misplaced fear, which can result in false humility. But as we close this morning, let me pray those words of Psalm 139 one last time. Search us, God, this week and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts as our week now begins. See if there is any offensive way in me in the days that are ahead. And most importantly, lead me in the resolved way of everlasting throughout 2024. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless and good afternoon.